Good. I'm, I'm, it's so glad, I'm so glad to be on U.S. soil so I can speak with my southern accent and people don't laugh at me. I can't tell you the number of... I had a guy I was speaking in Ensenada about five weeks ago, and a guy stopped me in the middle of my sermon, an American guy, and he said, are you, are you being serious? Do you really talk like that? Are you just putting that on for us? And I, I said, no, I really talk like this. We all do. We are educated. We do love the Lord there. But like Pastor Keith said, if you don't know me, my name is Nathan Alpert. Um, we, my wife, Charity, and I served the Lord Jesus through the ministry of Yugo Ministries in Ensenada, Mexico. We're on the Pacific Coast. Uh, Christ Community has been an integral part of our ministry from the beginning. They sent us out. Actually, it was this Sunday, one year ago today, that um, Ed and I began the drive to go and uh, move to Ensenada. And over the last year, I can report to you that we've seen 16 people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen nine of those people follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We've seen 45 houses get built for families who in otherwise would not even have a home. We've seen amazing changes to our family. We've seen personal growth. We've seen growth in the community and even in our missionary staff there. But not everything has been good news. I don't only have good news for you because God has given me a burden and it's not only for the people of Mexico, but it's for the church in the United States. And it's to call you higher in Christ and to call you higher in righteousness. And when God puts that burden on your heart, you have no choice but to, but to share it. So this morning, I want to open the missions app with you. So many of us have iPhones, and so many of us have Blackberries and Androids, and we open these apps and we use them. We use them on our iPads, we use them every day. I wonder if we're pressing the missions app. I wonder if we really understand God's call on our lives. And not just on those of us who are so radical to sell what we own and to move to a foreign country, but on each and every one of our lives. What he's really called us to and the mission that he's given us as believers. One of the things that I like to do is when we read the word of the Lord, I like for us to stand. So if you'll stand with me and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We'll read through the text one time and then we'll, we'll unpack it together. If you didn't bring a Bible or if you're not using an NIV... The words are going to come up on the screen, but we'll, I'll read it. If you just read it to yourself and read it along, we'll just stand out of respect for the word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. You can be seated. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and we don't take it lightly. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to meet in this house as believers and to open your word without persecution that so many of our brothers and sisters across the globe are facing just this very morning. God, thank you for the time that you spent with us, and thank you that when you left, you commissioned us to go. And God, I pray that today that we'll shed the chains that are holding us back from spreading your gospel, and God, help us to see your call in our lives in a brand new way. God, we can't understand this word without your spirit, so we invite you to come in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So let's unpack this together as we open the missions app. Verse 3 says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So we're dealing with the 40-day period between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. The 40 days as he was waiting for the day of Pentecost when he would pour out his spirit. And the story that we read in in Acts chapter 2, where we get the idea of our church. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, I want you to circle kingdom of God because we're going to come back to that. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. It's very important that we understand what he means by the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we misunderstand it. And we're going to talk about that, so circle kingdom of God. Verse 4 says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and said, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples are asking him about a physical kingdom. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Many times when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about the physical nature of it. The disciples are asking him a physical question. You remember, Israel was under, at this time, the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. The same government that was in place when there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And so Rome ruled Israel at the time. So the disciples were asking Jesus, so this, when you talk about the kingdom of God, are you going to restore Israel at this time? And look what Jesus says. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or date that my father has set by his own authority. In other words, that's not even what I'm talking about. You're completely missing the point of what I'm saying. It's not for you to know when I'm going to restore Israel back to Israel, back to its own rule. So if you look at your worship guide, number one, I think what the disciples weren't understanding was the nature of the kingdom of God. And we don't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. We don't understand what it's made up of. The disciples didn't either. There was still a lot of uncertainty in their, in, their, in their Christian walk and in their ideas of what Jesus was trying to teach. And it still exists today. We don't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. First of all, we need to understand that it's spiritual, not political. The kingdom of God is spiritual and not political. Political kingdoms are spread by soldiers like Alexander the Great and Napoleon and all of the, the great generals of history, they were here to spread their political kingdoms. Those are soldiers. Spiritual kingdoms are, are spread by witnesses. And without witnesses, the kingdom of God cannot spread. Without witnesses, the kingdom of God cannot spread. But we need to understand that it's spiritual, not political. Jesus was not asking his people to take up arms against Rome or to draw their swords. But he's asking them to spread their spiritual kingdom. And it's the same call that we're going to see that we have on our lives today. Not only is it not spiritual, it's not political, it's spiritual. It's international, not national. It's international, not national. It may be a news flash to you. It certainly was to me. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not unique to the United States of America, friend. God doesn't only speak English. As a matter of fact, his hard drive is not exactly in English. You know, I remember being on a, a missions trip in Ensenada with Chuck and sitting in the back of a, a little church and, 
for the first time hearing the young kids with tears rolling down their face just singing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ and we couldn't understand a word of it. They were just singing to him in Spanish and just realizing, wow, this is so much bigger than just Montgomery, Alabama. God doesn't have a southern accent. God really understands Spanish. It's such an international kingdom. But to just to, for the first time to understand that the kingdom of God is international and not national. The kingdom of God must cross cultural lines. We can't just keep it here in the United States. It has to cross cultural lines because, first of all, there's people over there that God wants to use. I think of the story of a young man named Marvin Garay that works for us at Yugo. And if you've ever seen any of the audio-visual stuff, if you've ever seen any of our photos or videos or any of the stuff we have back here at our display, you just won't believe the talent that this young man has. And he's a young man that at, at seven years old was running up and asking questions on one of our job sites. And a, U, a U.S. short-term missionary took the time to stop hammering and stop painting and stop building and walk over there and just love Marvin and just give him a hug and befriend him. And what happened is... They introduced him to his dad. His dad began to work there. Marvin got saved. He got involved in the ministry. And now he's the audiovisual coordinator for all of Hugo Ministries. But stories like that just can't happen if we don't understand. There's people over there that God wants to use. There's people in Africa. There's kids all over the world right now that need the gospel message because God has a certain plan for their life that he wants them to be the next missionary and evangelist. But if we just keep the gospel right here in the United States, if we keep it just right here in Montgomery, Alabama, we'll never realize there's people over there that God wants to use. I think of the example of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Remember, there was a lawyer that asked Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy spirit. Do this and you will live. And the, and the guy says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell the story of the good Samaritan. And the Samaritan has become so synonymous with the word good that we even use the phrase good Samaritan right now. But until then, do you understand the hatred that the Jews had for the Samaritans? If you've ever read this, the book of Ezra or Nehemiah, you know that as the wall was being rebuilt and as the temple was re being rebuilt, it was the Samaritans that were causing all the problems for the Israelites. But Jesus used a Samaritan in that story for this simple purpose, to show that there is good that comes from other people groups. As he spoke to that Jewish lawyer, the expert in the law, he used a Samaritan to say, hey, do you realize that the gospel has to cross over these political boundaries? It has to go into these other countries because there's people over there that I want to use. There's people over there that I want to use. And the last reason that the kingdom must cross cultural lines is because there are people just as there are in Montgomery and as there are in Alabama, there are people in Mexico that are dying and going to hell without the gospel, that have never heard the gospel message. We cannot just sit back and use the excuse that, oh, well, there's a big Catholic influence there, or there's other missionaries there. So, that, you, know, you know, we talk a lot about we only need to go to the 1040 window because those are unreached people groups. But I can tell you that in Mexico, right now, in the Ensenada, in the Mexicali Valley, there's 400,000 people living and dying and on their way to hell that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that don't have the hope that only comes from Jesus, that don't even live in what we would call poverty. 94% of them live below the Mexican poverty level, which is about $10,000 a year. So how easy it is 
if we just give them some hope in Jesus to introduce them to Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we quote that verse, but we stop there. And friend, verse 14 says, How then can they call on one they have not believed? And how can they believe in one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So the gospel has to cross over these cultural lines because they're lost and dying and going to hell. Look at verse 8 in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So circle that. You will be my witnesses. Remember when we said spiritual kingdoms are spread by witnesses and not soldiers. Jesus says in verse 8, you will be my witness. So you have a box on your worship guide, and I want to unpack this with you. First of all, a witness observes. In order to be a witness, you have to have seen something. In this case, the apostles saw the risen Christ. They touched the wounds on his hands and feet. They broke bread with him. They saw the risen Christ. A witness observes. And so my challenge is, have you seen him? Have you seen him working in your life? Has there been a time where you've seen Jesus? Do you have an experience that you can go back to and put a tent stake in the ground and say, this is when I saw the Lord? In order to be a witness, you have to have seen Jesus. The second thing a witness does is he believes. A witness believes. It's one thing to see, but if you don't believe what you're seeing or take a mental account of what you're seeing, you can't be a witness. The disciples saw God. But for some of them, it took touching his hands and touching his feet for him to believe what they were seeing. What is it going to take for us to believe? Has there been a time in your life where you have seen God and you've believed what he said? If we're ever going to be a witness, if we're ever going to be a witness in Montgomery, if we're ever going to be a witness across the world, we've got to believe what we've seen. The third thing a witness does is a witness reports. A witness believes and reports. Without reporting, you're not a witness. You can have seen something and you can have believed it, but if you don't report it, you're not a witness. And friend, God's called us all to be a witness. So how can we have this experience with Jesus, believe it, and not report it? You know, it takes about a day for a restaurant to open in Montgomery that's fantastic before we're on Facebook about it, before we're telling our friends about it. You wouldn't believe the experience I had. Friend, how much more important is it that Jesus Christ has saved our souls, has given us grace when we didn't deserve it? How much more important is it for us to be spreading that word of mouth than the latest movie, than the latest restaurant in Montgomery? But we say we're embarrassed? We're embarrassed to spread that because of what others might think of us? Friend, we're going to look later. That's the only way that you can let them know you love them. The only way that you can truly let people know you love them is to give them the gospel because God is love. The second thing in your outline, we must embrace the responsibility of missions. We must embrace the responsibility of missions. Notice it says, you will be my witnesses. And we can debate he was talking to the disciples. That's fine. But it says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Not the Alperts, not Keith. You will be my witnesses. So we're all called, but we're suffering from some conditions. 
In the U.S. church today, we're suffering from some conditions that are keeping us from embracing the responsibility. From understanding that it's us that's called. And we, when we begin to read the scripture and believe what it says, it starts to come alive and it will make you do radical things. The first condition that we're suffering from is a misunderstanding. We're suffering from misunderstanding. A misunderstanding of what it means to spread the gospel or be a witness. Many times we feel like that spreading the gospel is only a verbal act of preaching. Or a verbal act of salesmanship, being able to convince the person of Jesus. And I will say that yes, it is a verbal act. There is a verbal act involved in spreading the gospel. You know, some of us have the, uh, feel comfortable with talking to people and some people don't. But often I hear, well, I can't really talk to people. God hasn't gifted me in that area. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sit back and let the next person actually do the, do the talking, do the evangelism. And yeah, so there is something to do with talking to people. If we're not talking to people, we're really just keeping it in our pocket. But what about acts of love? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, Little children, let us love, then not only with words and speech, but with actions. With actions and in truth. And that's a lot of what we do at Yugo Ministries. One thing that we like to do is reach out through actions of love. Please don't tell me. That when we go and build a house for somebody, then that's not evangelism. Because we don't just go out to the job site, nail some nails, and say, here's a house, love you. And then just leave it at that. We come and we explain to the family that the only way that we're able to pour out that love is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's love, and he's filled our hearts so much with love from his forgiveness and his grace that we can't help but outpour it. And you wouldn't believe the results. Five weeks ago, we were building a house for a young man named Jesus. And yes, it is spelled Jesus, but it wasn't that Jesus. So we were building a house for a young man named Jesus, 32 years old, six kids. We actually had to build them two triple bunk beds in their rooms to get all the, house, all the family in the same 300-square-foot house. But as we do on Thursday afternoons, we got into a semicircle, and we were dedicating the house to the family as an altar to the Lord. And you should have, it reminds me of when, you saw, when I saw your pastor just some 12 weeks ago, as he got down on his knee and he gave the key to the family and he humbled himself and he said, this is, you know, from the love from the Lord Jesus Christ. But this particular day, the first person spoke and they said, hey, Zeus, it's our, it's our honor to build this house in the name of Jesus for you. And the second person said, hey, Zeus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to let us come down and build this house in the name of Jesus for you. And they passed the keys and the third person says, hey, Zeus, I just want to tell you how much I love you only because of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, Jesus dropped down on his knees. And he put his hands in the air and he says, you know, he said it in Spanish, but he said, I want what you guys have. I want the love that's flowing out of your heart. Too long has my family lived for ourselves. I want what you have. Tell me how I can have your God in my life. And so the pastor of that church knelt down and led him to Christ right on the spot. Jesus stood up and said, come over here. I don't, know how spirit, I, don't, I don't know how doctrinally correct this is, but he got his wife and his kids, and he said, come on over here. Right now, we're all accepting Jesus right now. <laughs> he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So don't tell me that the only way that you can do evangelism is just by confrontation. You can do it through actions of love. And then the Bible says not only, not only with tongue and speech, but in actions and in truth. 
and then you tell them the truth. We do the action of love, and then we tell them the truth and do it where it came from. But we're suffering from this misunderstanding of what it means to spread the gospel. Some of us are suffering from faithlessness. Number two is faithlessness, and this is the hardest one. And if you don't get anything else I said today, I want you to get this. Some of us in the U.S. church are suffering from faithlessness, and that is that we don't believe what we're saying. Maybe we believe it here, but it hasn't moved the 12 inches from here to our hearts. The book of James says that even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons know that there's a God, but we're suffering from faithlessness. We're telling the world that we've had this experience with Jesus, but our lives don't look any different than the world. Can I give you an example? Keith, if I showed up here late today, two minutes before I was supposed to be on the stage, I ran in the back doors and ran up here tired and said, I'm sorry, sorry I'm late. I was on I-85 and I had a flat tire. I pulled over to the side of the road and took the tire off the car. Some of the lug nuts rolled out in 85, and I went out there to pick them up, and a 30-ton, 18-wheeler ran over me. And so I'm a little late this morning. Sorry about that. You laugh. But you would basically have two choices to believe. Because there's no difference in the way I'm walking. There's no difference in, the, in my speech. There's no difference in the way I look the way I dress, the way I talk. So how could I have had a, such an experience with a 30-ton, 18-wheeler and not look any different? You'd only have two choices. You'd say either he's, he's crazy or he's lying. I wonder, is that what we're broadcasting to the world sometimes? We claim to have had an experience with the almighty God of the universe that he's come down and rescued us from sin. And set us on a path of righteousness. And we've dedicated our life to that. But yet to the outside world, we don't look any different. Not only are we not evangelizing, but this is down to the core of just how we're living our lives. We're not dressing any different. or It's not changing the way that we're watching television or the movies that we're watching. Or our speech patterns. Or the way that we're loving. Or the way that we're treating people. Because we don't believe. I want to ask you this morning to look inside yourself. And not the temptation that Satan would give you to try to pull away your salvation. But just to ask you, have you had an experience with the Almighty God? And has it changed you? Are you willing to shuck off those chains that are holding you back from, from evangelizing your friends and your neighbors and, and the people across the world? Do you look different? If you don't, we're going to have an opportunity today that we're just going to be able to lay that down right here and do some business with the Lord. And some of us are just suffering from faithfulness because we don't believe. Some of us are suffering from sentimentalism. So many years I suffered from this. Sentimentalism is this idea that we enjoy, but we don't feel responsibility. It's enjoyment without responsibility. If you have a place, write that down. Sentimentalism is just enjoyment without responsibility. And how good at this are we? Things look cute, you know. Our salvation is cute. Man, I sure do enjoy the fact that Jesus is going to take me to heaven when I die. But I miss the part where there's a responsibility that comes with it. 
You know, Keith, I, I really enjoy the, the ministries of Christ Community Church, and I appreciate the, the great nurseries we have and the youth facilities. They're awesome. I don't particularly feel any responsibility to help with any of it, but that's sentimentalism. That's where we have just enjoyed without feeling a responsibility. And friend, that's godless. That's not what God is calling to us. It's the same thing with evangelism. The enjoyment of our salvation with no responsibility to evangelize is sin. James teaches that he who knoweth to do good and doeth not to him it is sin. And that's the sin of omission. And it's something that we're just failing to do is to take the gospel. Whether it's because we don't believe it or whether it's because we're sitting around and being sentimental and not feeling a sense of responsibility, we're not doing it. Let me stop right there for a second because it's not all, I don't want to come down too hard on Christ's community because this church has always been a mission-minded church. And we appreciate it so much. We could not be doing what we're doing without Christ Community Church. And so we as a family applaud you for how much you've been involved in our ministry. But when I say that, here's the challenge. Is it you personally? Or are you, can you say that you are hiding behind the church as a whole and what it's done? Are you personally living with your hands open? Given to Jesus, bringing your tithe to this storehouse so that 10% of it can go to the missions field. And if you're not, I challenge you to do that. Some of us are suffering from carnality. Some of us are suffering from carnality. Many of you could define what carnality is. But one of the reasons why I think we're not spreading the gospel is because we're suffering from carnality. Carnality is simply just putting human desires before the things of God. It's living for the flesh. We have a word in, in Spanish, and it's carne. And I love tacos de carne asada, and that's meat. And, it, and actually, in that case, it means grilled meat. But meat, flesh, living for ourselves, living for what makes us happy, putting human desires before the things of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've often in my own life recognized that where my heart is is exactly where my treasures go. If you, if you can look at patterns over my life of the things that I've been into and the things that have been my hobbies and the things that I've really placed my heart in, you can really follow where my wallet has gone. And I think we can all recognize times in our life where we really have made exceptions and begin to spend money and put our treasure into where our heart was. So many people come to me and they say, I really want a heart for foreign missions, but I really don't have a heart for it. Pray with me that I'll get a heart for foreign missions. And you know what I always suggest? Invest in it. If you want a heart for foreign missions, invest in it. Why do you think people so closely watch their investments? Because they're invested in it. If you want a heart for foreign missions, invest in it. And you'll start to pray. You'll start to care about that ministry. You'll start to care where your money's going. The same thing happens when people bet on sports. And I would never condone that. But that's why people bet on sports, because the games aren't interesting. They don't care about the game. So they invest in it, and then they care about it. It's the same thing with having a heart for missions. If you want God to change your heart for, for missions, take my challenge and invest in it and watch how much you begin to pray and care about it. In 2011, um, Americans spent $16 billion on amusement. 10.6 of those billion was to Disney only. $16 billion on amusement. And that does not count travel. $16 billion industry on amusement. 10.6 just to Disney. 
We spent $3.4 billion in travel. $600 million on domesticated pet food. And for all you farmers, that does not count feed. That is just domesticated animal food. $600 million. $350 million on chewing gum. As much as I like a piece of chewing gum, we spent $315 million on local community missions in 2011. Less than chewing gum. $315 million across all 50 states of this union on local community missions in 2011. And $350 million on chewing gum. Friend, that's, that is priorities that are out of whack. I won't even mention the $16 billion we spent on amusement before the money we spent to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're suffering from carnality. And not only are we suffering from this, but we're passing it along to our children generationally. Generation after generation after generation, we're teaching our kids to get the best education possible so that they can get the best job possible so that they can make the most money possible, so that at the very end of their life, they can live in a little short window of worldly happiness. But friend, where's our preachers? Where's our evangelists? Where's our missionaries? Are we training our kids in the things of God? Are we calling them higher in righteousness? Are we putting the training of the things of God before the training of the things of the world? That's our fault. If we're going to have another generation of those who would rise to the call of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be on us as parents to teach our kids. And I'll put myself in that boat. But can I challenge you today that some of us are just living for carnality? And that's standing in the way of the gospel? That we're living for that next paycheck? That we're living for that next thing and not for the things of God? Look at verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I've put on your worship, God, that we must participate in all of the places of missions. We must participate in all the places of missions. Jerusalem represents our community. Jerusalem represents Pike Road. Jerusalem represents Montgomery, Prattville. It's our community. That's where we are every day. There's some, there's some debate as to what Judea and Samaria represents, but it's our surrounding areas. However you look at it, it's our surrounding areas. Whether we want to call that Alabama, whether we want to call that the United States, or even the continent of North America, Judea and Samaria represents our surrounding areas. And the ends of the earth represents just that, the ends of the earth, the foreign countries. Are the heathen really lost? Are the people who have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ really dying and on their way to hell? Friend, they are. That's why Jesus has called us not only here and not only to our surrounding areas, but to the ends of the earth. People ask me all the time, they say, Nathan, how'd you know exactly where God wanted you to go? Because I, I believe that I understand what God wants me to do. I believe I understand what God wants me to do, but I don't know where to go. And what I can tell you is this. 
Friend, God would rather you be in the wrong place doing the right thing than in the right place doing nothing. Let me say that again. God would rather you be in the wrong place doing the right thing than be exactly where he wants you doing nothing. So don't sit by and wait on your calling to be living for the Lord and to be spreading the gospel. Because here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to know him and he wants you to make him known. He wants you to get under a Bible teacher like Brother Keith. He wants you to get involved in a small group and he wants you to know him. And he wants you to take his gospel out. And where we can talk about later. But he would rather you be doing that in the wrong place than being in the center of his will doing absolutely nothing. But that, there wasn't a time where God wrote on the wall, this is where I want you to go. It's being involved in ministry. It's surrounding yourself with ministry people. It's having his mind and his heart and being involved in going and doing. And that's how we got involved in Mexico. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And let me ask you this. Ask yourself what grieves your heart. If you're looking for how you should step into ministry, ask yourself what grieves your heart. If the Holy Spirit is inside you and he's changed you, then what does he grieve in your heart for? What breaks your heart on a day-to-day basis? You know, I used to, my pastor growing up used to say, how long has it been since you've come up to this altar and wept over lost souls? And we used to, as teenagers, sit back there and laugh and think, why would somebody weep over lost souls? But let me ask you this this morning. When is the last time that you came up to this altar and God so broke your heart that you wept over lost souls? that are dying and on their way to hell, that haven't been born in the same zip code as you've been born and haven't had a parent or a family member or somebody give them the gospel. When is the last for those lost souls? In Acts chapter 16, it says that Paul grieved in his heart for the people of Athens. In the book of Job, it says that Job looked around and grieved in his heart for the poor of his area. And that's where we were. Our heart was grieved, not only for the people of Mexico, but for the sleeping U.S. church. And and God stirred in our hearts a desire to awaken the U.S. church and to bring them to Mexico on missions. Not only to meet a need there, but also meet a need of mobilizing the church to be the goers and the doers that God's called us to be. Look again at your worship, God, as we begin to close. Going into Jerusalem will cost you your time. Going into your Jerusalem will cost you your time. That's Montgomery. I have seen this young man, Ben, in the last two years. God has lit his heart up for Montgomery, for the unsaved here. And I say, praise God. And I want us to get behind him 100% as we do that. Going into Jerusalem will cost us some time. It's getting involved in local missions. It's getting involved in the ministries of the church. It's getting involved at your workplace. Friend, God is calling us to be stewards of all of his resources. So many times we talk about our tithe. But it's also our talents. And it's also our time. Going into Jerusalem is going to cost you some time. If you're going to press the missions app, if you're going to open that, be prepared to spend some time. I have seen our men of this church over the last year with a new revival of the amount of time that they're willing to spend going into our Jerusalem. And I encourage you to keep that going. It's going to cost you some time. Going into Judea and Samaria is going to cost you your comfort. Going into Judea and Samaria is going to cost you your comfort. Christ Community Trip... Christ Community Church takes a trip every year to come down to Mexico. I would encourage you, if you've never done it, step outside of your comfort zone. Take a week and come and do ministry. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
But just like some of you read what I wrote yesterday, not only to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but to have his mind and his heart and to walk as he walked and to kneel down and serve one who you would never serve in the U.S. Friend, when you get away and you get away from your iPad and your iPod and you get away from your computer and your email and you put down your cell phone and you just love and you just serve, you can hear Jesus in a way you've never heard him before. You can hear Jesus talking to you. Because you're having his mind and his heart. But there's some uncomfortability that comes with it. Yeah, maybe you're going to have to live in dorm-style accommodations. Maybe you are going to have to walk up and down a dirt road. Maybe you are going to have to uh, share a shower 30 minutes after somebody else uses it. Or in Chuck's case, at the same time when they're using it. (laughs) Maybe there's going to be some uncomfortability. But I challenge you to step out of that box of comfort that we have right here in Montgomery, Alabama. Because there's a world out there in Judea and Samaria that needs the gospel. And it's going to cost you some comfort. What if you looked at taking your vacation time to do some missions? What would that look like if God's church decided to maybe not spend this money over here, but to spend it to go and do missions? What would that look like if all the people in this room right now came How many houses could we build? How many souls could get saved? How many people would be baptized if we all took just a week of our vacation and we all went and did missions? We all went and served the Lord. What would that look like? That would be a radical idea. Lastly, going to the uttermost parts of the earth will cost you your life. Will cost you your life. And it's interesting that I didn't put that it will cost you your money. Because I imagine some of you looked at that blank and thought that I was going to say that it will cost you your money. But I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Yeah, we need money. It takes money to get the ministry going. But I want to know where is our next missionary? Where is our next person that God would call into his service? To say, no more do I have for you the job in Alabama. I have a higher calling for you. I am calling you higher in righteousness. And I am calling you to go No different than I called the church in Acts chapter 1. I am calling you to go and be my witnesses. Someone in this room may be beginning to think in a radical way this morning. We've been filled up and filled up and filled up with the teaching and the gospel. And it's time as a church that we begin to pour ourselves out. And would it be you? Would God be calling you to be our next missionary? Would God be calling you to spread the gospel not only here in Montgomery... Or in Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. In 1958, the Milwaukee Braves played the New York Yankees in the World Series. It was a rematch of the 1957 World Series. And the catcher for the Yankees was Yogi Berra. And he had a habit of heckling the batters as they would come up. And one particular time in game three, Hank Aaron came to bat. And Yogi Berra said, hey, Hank. He said, you're holding the bat wrong. You need to turn the label. You'll like this, John. He says, you need to turn the label to where you can read it before you swing. And so Hank said, that surprised me. He looked at, the, looked at it. And the next pitch, Hank swung and hit the ball about 400 feet over the left field wall. And he rounded first, and he rounded second, and he rounded third, and he came back. And he said, hey, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. I came here to hit. And, friend, that's my challenge with you today. We've read the word. Charity and I did not sell off everything that we own and move to a foreign country 
to read about it in the Bible. We came here to serve, and that's my challenge to you today. Are we going to be just readers of the word? Have we come? Do we meet here on Sunday mornings to just read about it? Or have we come here to hit? Have we come here to step up to the plate and begin to press that missions out and to evangelize not only our neighbors here, but to the ends of the earth? Bow your heads. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Right now, what I want to do is I want to ask Jeff, if you'll come up here and just play a song. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But there's two questions that I want to ask you to really seriously consider with me right now. And I'm not going to try to be a salesman. I'm not going to try to convince you of anything. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his job. But if you are broadcasting this morning to the world that you've had an experience with Jesus, that a 30-ton, 18-wheeler of grace has run over you, and you don't look any different, I'm going to ask you to look inside yourself and ask where your relationship stands with the Lord. If you need to come up here to this altar and get some things straight with God, I'm going to invite you to do that. Ben will be here to pray with you. Tim will be here to pray with you. Keith will be here to pray with you. If there's never been a time in your life where you've had that experience, where you have said, Lord, I repent of my sins. God, I want you in my life, not as fire insurance, but to begin a relationship with you as a believer. I want you to come up here and make that right with the Lord. And the last question I want to ask you is, is it you? Is it you? Are you the reason that God sent Charity and I here on this Sunday morning? To speak this message is maybe God calling you out. Is it maybe time that you shake off the chains that are holding you down and surrender your life into his ministry? It's a radical thought, but we serve a radical Lord, amen?